This is Sarah's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. Driving cross-country with two young children is ambitious, to say the least. Then our check engine light came on. We pulled into O'Reilly Auto Parts and they tested it. Turned out it was a faulty sensor. They referred us to a great mechanic just down the street and we were back on the road in no time. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Yeah, yeah, ready to go. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode 76 of Get Out a Wrap. Uh, today, I'm joined by Martin Pemberton. Martin is the first professional footballer that's been on the show. And we've already had a chat before. You can see we're both grinning. We spoke last week. Um, you are you are seeing the birth of a friendship here on the on the podcast. But it's a bromance. It's, it's not a friendship, Mark. It's a, this is a bromance. That's just, yes. This has happened, right? This is it, we are. Yeah. It is. It is a proper bromance. But so you're a professional footballer for over a decade. Um, now public speaker, well-being trainer mindset and transformation coach and you created just one to 11 which i can't wait to um talk about i think it's it's brilliant but martin thanks very much for coming on it's my absolute pleasure my friend i'm i'm, I'm excited for this today I, I love speaking with you so we'll just see let's see what happens right <laughs> exactly we had to so we had a little chat didn't we last week and we i had to we had both had to stop because otherwise we'd have just done the podcast without <laughs> it being without it being recorded so yeah. Obviously, I, I'm a massive, massive football's my um, always has been my release, my my passion. I have to tell you a funny story actually. So, my uh, I had a I'm getting married at the end of August, and um, so we had a family stag do on Sunday. So it was dad, uncles, uh, Bev's uncles, and dad and stepdad and stuff who didn't come to the sort of lads, lads, lads one. And my dad, like, I got to semi-pro when I was um, 18. That's about it. And then I, but I've still carried on playing football. I love it. Anyway, I lived in Germany because my dad was in the Air Force. So you never really had a chance. There were no scouts. There was nothing like that. But when we got posted back, I asked my football coach at the time from the Air Force team to write me a letter so that I could be, so I could take it to, um, teams yeah professional teams when we got posted back to the UK and my dad bought me the letter <laughs> it's the funniest thing ever it's written, <laughs> written on a typewriter the best the best thing this guy could say about me was I helped with fundraising I was a nice lad I was well known in the in the team and with the right guidance, I should be given a trial. What I liked is he started with, I was good at fundraising. <laughs> so no wonder, no wonder I didn't get a chance. I'm going to put it down to that rather than lack of ability. But how did it all start for you? Um, yeah, so I think for me, as apparently, uh, I always had a football at my feet. I don't really, obviously, until you're conscious, you don't really remember that. And then I think my mum took me to, to go play football somewhere. And my dad used to work nights then, so he, he, he could never make it. And it was the typical thing. My mum was like, he's really good, you know. And my dad's like, what does she know? She just, of course she's going to say that. She's his, yeah. his mum. And then he came and he watched and he was actually like, oh, actually, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's something there. But I think for me, Martin, it was just that 
it's like you said about that feeling uh, of playing football, what it brings to you, and that you just forget all your worries. You get to just have the most fun. It's just, it's like I think we spoke last week. I said, kind of, that was my first love, like that, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and it, and it literally like was my first love. And so from that point, nothing ever really mattered outside of that. I, I fell in love with football. And I thought this is what I want to do when I leave school. And kind of naively, you think, well, it's yeah, don't everybody just go go and do that? So <clears throat> that was the the journey. But it, you know, it's a it's a ten year journey from conception to realization and along the way I only looked back recently and thought wow I had quite a few challenges you know like I, <clears throat> I fractured my back when I was 11 um, but we didn't know about it so I played for three years with like a stress fracture then uh, I got down to the last few of the Lillyshaw trials back in the day the national football school so I got down to like literally being able to go to that and then you have to have a medical <clears throat> so I had a scan found out I had a stress fracture and then they said right you can't play for a year so I, I could do nothing no PE. my god no, and so you can imagine how agonizing yeah. that was. And around six months, I, I did it a bit of a wall. I do remember I was shedding a few tears at that point. But what also that year gave me the opportunity to do was go out and hang out on the streets with all my mates from school and do all the things that teenagers kind of do to experience it for a year. So that when I came back, I wasn't interested in it. I didn't think I, I didn't, I knew I wasn't missing anything, if that makes sense. And then you know, you, you get in schoolboy forms with all with all them, and then you become a, you got a little YTS scheme, thirty seven quid a week to get <laughs> yes. like, to get treated like absolute made dirt, it. But, oh, unbelievable. <laughs> but you're just so happy to be there. Yeah. That but you go from doing your GCSEs and living with your mum to the next day you're running up a hill and you've got all these guys effing and blinding and shouting at you, calling you all the names under the sun, and it's a real wake-up call but do you know what those two years of being an apprentice were probably two of the most enjoyable of my life and I think a lot of the, the guys who I experienced it said the same and it's maybe it's similar with the the forces and stuff you get a real camaraderie you yeah. go through a lot of adversity and I think it's different now we have to clean boots and scrub dressing rooms and pick up sweaty slips off the floor and you know I, I remember having to bring a pot of tea into the first team room in Oldham and you'd be so scared because if it wasn't the right temperature or it wasn't right, it wasn't a polite, can you take that back and <laughs> redo it? The cup was usually coming back at your head with, with with tea, right? But there was also this, bizarrely, this kind of respect for the professionals. And not that you wanted to be or treat people like that. I never did anyway, but it was something to try to ascend to, to get to that level of becoming a pro footballer. And so, you know, at 18, <clears throat> I was lucky enough to, to get that opportunity at Oldham. Do you think... Um... Because now, I mean, if you love football, you just you just devour any content about football, yeah. football, football. So now, lads going into that, and um, my son was in Reading's academy um, for eight years, and that whole the YTS sort of experiences you've just talked about then just doesn't exist anymore, does it? That kind of, yeah. and you were going into, let's be honest, Oldham at the time was known as a team. It was all about they were tough. They they played good football, but they were tough. They were team spirited. Um, a little bit like the Wimbledon crazy gang of the north, right? So it must have been even tougher for you. What were some of the characters like there? <laughs> so, and it was really cold as well in Oldham when yeah. I was there, yeah. But um, yeah, well, I mean, founder members of the Premier League, again, like you said, they were just in that golden 
age for for Oldham Athletic as a club with some of the players and the teams. But yeah, some of the some of the characters there were John Hallworth, they used to call him Captain Darling, I think from Black <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah. that was his name. Uh, but then I had the the likes of Craig Fleming, who he was my professional I looked after, and he was always very particular about three stripes of his Adidas. World Cup's been really clean, right? So I used to get the Vaseline in the cloth and <laughs> you'd be scrubbing away. Yeah. Um, Ian Marshall, who I think we mentioned, uh, Marshall was a yeah. half striker. He, he was a real character scouser. And I remember one day, <clears throat> me and some of my mates, we'd, we'd got the changing rooms done, we'd scrubbed the floors, we'd mopped it, dried it. And Marshall came into the dressing room and he's like, oh, how are you doing, lads? What, what are you doing this afternoon? Have you got anything planned? And I was like, yeah, Marshall, we're just, we're going to go into Manchester or whatever. And as we were saying that, he had his foot on top of the mop bucket full of dirty water at the top of the stairs. <laughs> so he had that look in his eye and I was like, Marshy, please, mate, don't, don't do it. <laughs> and he just pushed it off the top step, obviously the water, and he just said, don't look like you're going into Manchester, lad, and just walked out. But you couldn't do anything, but it didn't even occur to me to say anything to him because, yeah. again, there were that level of, respect that I think is maybe not there as much now and although I think we said there was one end of the pendulum where it was maybe over the top in some respects and and really harsh there's maybe we're at the other end of the uh, pendulum where there's there's no responsibility taken or kind of no learning so hopefully we'll find our way back into the middle not just in football I think that's in society as well where yes everyone's got rights and, and freedoms and that's absolutely right but with your rights and freedoms comes a responsibility as well that I think's maybe lacking at times for people at the minute. We we want the freedom to choose and be how we want, but if anyone disagrees with us, then we have a problem with that. And so mm-hmm. it don't make sense to me if we if we have those freedoms, people have the freedoms to disagree with us and not have yeah. to fall out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, t- I I totally agree, and hopefully over time over this podcast I've spoke to people who we might have different views about things but we've been able to talk about it and um, without it just being adversarial you know A versus B it it should be about well let's talk about where our differences come from and what we think about it Um, I was just going to ask you you know uh, so again last week we talked about just trying to get to know each other. We found out with this, we were the same kind of kids, right? That so, so now is the time of summer holidays. Summer holidays for me, no matter where I lived, would be get the football, and the football was never far away. Get the football and just go out and then play games where the score was like 77, 76, we mates. And just your mum comes out and shouts at you to get back in. You just lost track of time. All you cared about, football was the thing that brought you joy. You know when you become a pro and you run out into a stadium and there's fans, when you're actually playing, did, did, you, did you still have that sort of quiet effect in your head or was it different? It depends. I think at certain points in games where maybe the action stops then you're more aware of the crowd, etc. But when you're in the midst of it and you're focused or you're doing whatever you're doing you're still aware of the crowd and you obviously can hear things and you get the energy from them certainly when you're at home but there is a little bit of a like you said a silence where there's just this focus everybody's concentrating on doing uh, the job essentially but I think as well what changed for me from the apprenticeship to becoming a pro I think there's then this realization it's now your job and so Mm -hmm. there's a a responsibility and you're you're playing for points and you're 
you're playing to get in the team and you're competing to get in the team and then you're competing to stay in the team and then there's 11 other people who try to stop you winning football matches and you've got people, thousands of people who've paid for the privilege to come in and, and then they feel because they've paid, they can now say what they want to you, right? And then you finish playing the game and someone who's maybe never kicked the ball at the level you have then gives you a, a mark out of 10 that they're going to put in a national newspaper and depending on what kind of game they think you've had, if it's yeah. a five... Everybody sees it and then you get people who give you a call after the weekend to see how the game went, knowing full well that you got a five in the paper, but they don't call you when you got an eight or a nine, right? So yeah, there's this complete, the, the emotional roller coaster. I believe, in terms of being a professional sports person. You don't realise it when you're in it, but it's only when you come out of it, I think, that the after effects are, are felt. And that was certainly the, the case for me. I read, I read this thing about, um, I love what you said then about just people phoning you and contacting you. It's not very often you see sports people talk about that, but there was a guy who fights in the uh, UFC who lost. And he just, he said, like his cousin, who's never had an amateur or professional fight in his life, phoned him and said, you should have done this. You should have done that. You should have done this. And he said, do you know what? I've just lost. This is not what I need. Yeah. So, yeah. All of that noise that goes around that you just, how did you deal with that? Uh, I think, I think you just get used to it. I think part of, you know, growing up, the process of playing as a kid, like we said, every day, and then you move into the youth setup and then the reserves and then, you know, you get in the first team and there's more people. I suppose it's just like most things we adapt to our environment, don't we often through, through repetition. Uh, so I think you, you do, but then you do become kind of indoctrinated into that way of, living and that way of being um that football i mean it's not the real world is it like, like, let's be honest like it's better than the real world <laughs> it's unbelievable. yeah it, it, it's, it's amazing so i think that yeah just like most things for most people if you practice anything enough you can get good at it and i and i say this to people in terms of both things you might consider uh negative or positive you know even negative behaviors thought patterns processes are practiced right so that yeah it comes second nature and it becomes a habit so if somebody now is maybe acting in a way that i wouldn't or i i, I might think in my head and call them a certain name or them a certain name i just think to myself now wow they must they must have practiced a lot to become as good at, at being yeah. like that right and it just <laughs> yeah. makes me giggle then i don't yeah. get with them because you know essentially they've, they've become world class at being that an idiot in that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. you've practiced yeah. at this <laughs> well, they put a lot of time into it so i'll at least respect them for the time invested. <laughs> yeah. good on you i appreciate your commitment <laughs> <laughs> so you um i've had a look as well and you actually played for a team like i say because my dad was in the raft we moved around all over yeah, the place yeah. and one of the places <laughs> we went to fin it was finningly um and the nearest town was Doncaster. So we used to go and watch yeah. Doncaster Rovers, Donny Rovers. Yeah. Uh, Bell, Bell, Bellevue. Bellevue. I think. Yeah, 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 Bellevue. So yeah, that was a that was an experience. So I was at Oldham uh, and then I thought I was going on loan, but I didn't I had an agent at that time, but he was nowhere to be seen. I won't name him. <laughs> but um so I I kind of me and my dad, you don't really know what you're doing when you go in and talk about contracts and all these things. Mm. So I thought I was going to be going on loan, come back to Oldham at the end of the season, but I actually I'd signed <clears throat> for Doncaster, right? And I, sh I should have signed on loan, but you kind of want to get playing and doing whatever. Yeah. But it's only when you arrive at the club that you realise like, how much disarray the club was in at that time. The chairman really? was quite a character, shall we say. Um, 
he, he wanted total control over the, the football club. Curry Dixon was the manager, actually, when I signed. Wow, really? Remember Curry Dixon? Yeah, yeah what a, Chelsea what a, striker. Oh, absolute gent. And, you know, you've got people of the class of Curry Dixon working there, but you could see the pressure and the restrictions that he had. <clears throat> and so mm. he left at the mm. end of that that season. Uh, and I left about a year after joining. So, fortunately, I was able to kind of get out of that environment because it wasn't conducive for well, I suppose expressing yourself and enjoying your your job, you know, when there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, it kind of then does impact on the on the playing side. What would you say was the highlight of your career? Highlight of my career, uh, professionally, was <clears throat> I think we won a promotion with Mansfield back in two thousand and two, and we got a promotion, yeah, from League Two to League One, and. Just because not many people get promotions in football, they play all their lives and they don't win things or they don't, you know, yeah. succeed. So to to play in a team in League Two and the, I've got a, still got a load of good mates from that that team as well. We all still speak and things and just the the group of players that we had we were all really just really good mates. But the style of football we played was which made it so much enjoyable. We didn't just kick and rush it; we passed yeah. it around, and it was really entertaining football. So I would say that that would be the. The highlight certainly for me was those those two years at Mansfield and certainly that promotion year. Well, I love it, and we could talk about it all day. But I'm really I'm really keen to um, now go on to like a part of your life that um, you are where you are now, and you're successful, and you've got these this great scheme, um, just one to eleven that I want to talk about, and it's really yeah. it's great for men, <laughs> mental health, well being, all aspects of life, but. Go from the football. Am I right in thinking that it was it was injury that led to you having to give up something that had been your your life, right? Yeah, I mean, I had a few injuries over my career. I mentioned the back, mm. back at being young. There was then I had two operations on my discs at different times in my career, years apart. Uh, dislocated shoulder, knee knee injury. So eventually, it was a knee injury that I ended up finishing with. Um, but yeah, you, you don't realise. The impact, even though it's spoken about, footballers don't want to talk about it. Every game could be a last game, right? You don't want to yeah, go out thinking yeah. that's it. So it's the one thing you'll de- deny forever. But <clears throat> you don't realise what the impact is when you come out of it. So, like we talked about, it's your, if it's your first love, and you've had this relationship where this love hate throughout your whole life, you know that when you lose it, it's going to be like a grieving period. Yeah. You know, I saw someone who posted on LinkedIn not so long ago about, you know, grief's not just about <clears throat> losing someone who, who dies. As he gave lots of different examples. And mm. I suppose that loss of identity, the thing that you'd always known, you lose your foundations. Uh, knowing where you were going to be 11 months of the year already planned out for you. So there was certainty. You lose all your teammates who understand you and have been through the same thing. So they get you, you come out and, you don't know what people kind of are into or get them and they don't get you and there's a different way of thinking. And so with all those things and partly some of those things, you end up then at a place of, of grieving, which actually for me probably took six years for that to manifest itself into mental health kind of challenges. It's a really good point. I think um, that kind of, you even just thinking about the structure of your week. So you knew what you were doing, when you were doing it, and then to go from that to uh, avoid. And I'm assuming once you knew that you couldn't play at that level anymore, yeah. it, you just is it just a complete contrast? That's that's 
you go from that to nothing um well yeah once you once you're finished depending on how physically you, you know fit, fit you are but yeah so then it's like well what am I going to do now? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. but, but also, um, what am I good at? What mm. skills have I got to offer anyone else now? Because you don't understand that you've got all these transferable skills and this experience that you've been through and all the things you've kind of achieved. Because even for myself, it, it, you can sometimes think, well, I never played in the Premier League, so you can discount your achievements, if that makes sense. But actually, to become a professional football yeah. for 10 years is a, is a hell of an achievement but yeah. I think there's a, there's a there's a tendency to downplay it if you've not been in Premier League mm. so but actually to think that however many percent it is is really low isn't it that you yeah. get to do that yeah. I think that then coming out of that you don't realise that you've got a lot to, to give so therefore low self-esteem and no value it's then like right well what do I do now so I mean luckily for me I, I, I got a um, a job as a, a learning mentor for disadvantaged children with like social and emotional issues. Okay. But I've always wanted to help people. So that was a nice natural progression. But what I say is, of course, these, these kids have got their own things going on and school's not really the highlight of their life, even though school wanted yeah. to be interested in school. It's like, it's, it's unbelievable. I essentially swapped uh, one environment to getting kicked and maybe racially abused for another one. But I just got paid a lot less, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, familiar, familiar territory, but just not, yeah. not the same paycheck to maybe soften it a, li a little bit for you and longer hours as well, I suppose, you know? But that was, that. that's a strange, you know, I guess not many people would think you would go from professional footballer and it's true what you say I, I find this amazing when like like you people are quite can be quite critical of footballers without necessarily understanding yeah. to get to be a professional footballer at any level you're in the top single digit percent and you've gone through a horrendous process it's like I said my son Taylor every 12 weeks it was yeah. going to be stay in the academy or go and that pressure yeah. from eight years old onwards is 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 mental to deal with. Yeah. So fair play yeah. to you and anyone that gets to that gets to that level. And it's I guess it doesn't soften the blow when you've got people eating pies and stuff shouting shouting <laughs> at you. They they get tired walking up to their seats. <laughs> <laughs> but with that also though, yeah, but you again you learn to you learn to deal with it because you're being judged and you're judging yourself for a very, very long time and been critiqued. So and I think most footballers are probably their harshest critic. I, I remember a couple mm. of times, <clears throat> certainly when I was at Mansfield or, you know, many conversations with my dad when I was younger of how did you think you'd done today and we'd go into a big inquest. But there were, there were at one point when I think I got to a certain age where he asked me the question and I kind of just looked at him and then we didn't have to speak about it again. I've not, <laughs> yeah. not had a particularly good game and I knew I hadn't. So, yeah. I mean, the flip side of that is as well, some people say, oh, you did really well today, but you know you haven't done well. So that, yeah. that doesn't, doesn't work, you know. So there was that kind of changeover between me and my dad where he stopped saying things to me because he knew there was no point, you know. And, and nothing he could say could make me feel any better. And there was certainly no point in terms of being critical because, again, like you said, unless you've been there, seen it and done it, it it's a difficult place to to come from right i did i sorry i got sidetracked again but um it's just because yeah. we're, we're just going off each yeah, other yeah. But, um so that yeah that change from 
footballer yep. to working with disadvantaged children. I mean, yep. and how did, I mean, what did you, how long did you do that? What was that like? <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, I, I did that for six years uh, and also consider, so when I retired, I also uh, ended up getting married, moving house, and then had a daughter with inside about a year as well, which I wouldn't recommend that anybody does those things in that amount of time. Don't don't retire from the career that you've had and loved forever. Get married, move house, and start a new job and have a daughter. Yeah. Did you did you look at that list of the most stressful things that happen in someone's life and go, I'm gonna do all five of the top ten. <laughs> just get get them out of the way straight away, Martin. Just why we're messing around, we might as well get this done so so yeah i don't i highly recommend people don't attempt all those things in a calendar year because it probably it won't work out too too well for you but yeah so but again I've, I've always had this i think thought or belief that i've wanted to help people you know whether that's from upbringing or, or examples with my parents and family but i've always felt that way so getting to work with some of these children was really really rewarding in a different different way also, I think with your football background and in primary at that stage, there weren't many males. So in terms of male influences, for mm -hmm. predominantly lads. So to give these young boys, I suppose, maybe someone that they could look at. And football is always a great in, isn't it? Yeah. With most lads like, oh, you played football. Do you know? And so it enabled me to kind of build these relationships with these uh, kids so that when we did transition back into school, I'd always be the one who'd go and support them. Um, but I think, again, <clears throat> with that, it brings its own stresses and, and pressures. Um, and uh, yeah, six years later, I ended up with man flu first. Right? So it was July 2013. <clears throat> Everyone else is all like, it's a bit of a heat wave. Everyone's in all the t-shirt and all the su summer clobber. And I'm fully wrapped up in a, in a jumper and a fleece and I'm, I'm freezing and I've, I've got the, the man flu. So I end up going going home and, and kind of, toughing it out you know it is mate we got a it's a tough it's a tough one right it's like man flu. no one understands it <laughs> they don't no one it. Understands they, they'll it. never get it they'll never understand so you battle your way through man flu uh, and then i was due to come back to work uh but there would have been a bit of a power struggle at work as well and i was kind of the person in the middle who people people confided in and i wasn't on anybody's side but again you know more kind of pressure that you didn't understand you were under and I think that was kind of the thing where I just thought oh god I'm going to go back into that and then the kids with all their issues and, and, and so it all came crumbling down I was watching tv with my little daughter who was I think she was four at the time uh, and I just started crying for no absolutely I'd like I want to say we was watching Bambi or Watership Down or something maybe, but we yeah were, and Watership Down gets me every time yeah to be honest, but... and so <laughs> just this wave of emotion came over me and then a tear started rolling down my face. But at that moment, I was like, oh God, this is not, this is not like man flu that I've had before. Mm. Uh, but I also said, I don't want my daughter to see me crying, right? Because you've got all those beliefs about what it is to be a man and to be strong yeah. and be a provider, protector. God, I can't, mm. and all this thing about nonsense about boys don't cry and all that mm. that you get kind of preconditioned with. So I kind of left the room without a knowing and then I went into my wife at the time and I just broke down and said I cannot go to work tomorrow you just when you're so scared to kind of yeah. do something and I felt like the only way I can explain it it's like I felt I had a massive slab of concrete on my chest and you know oh, if you're on bench pressing you can't you just can't lift it off right it was like that and, and so <clears throat> my ex-wife said yeah just why don't you you know go see the doctor and I was like yeah okay but then 
I then had this fear, feelings of anxiety around what if the doctor says there's nothing wrong with you, like sort you, pull yourself together and mm. get to work because that's what mm. you would have experienced in the football world. Yeah. So my mind was like, they're gonna, I'm, someone's gonna say, what's wrong with you? Like get mm. get to get back to work. So mm. then I had this whole feelings of anxiety before going to the doctors tomorrow about what he was gonna say or she was gonna say. And fortunately, obviously, you know. He said, no, you, you need to stay off work. So he gave me a, a sick note, which actually coincided just before the summer holidays. So I got extra time as well. Uh, and he, he said, I think you should get on antidepressants because they don't have the time, do they, to diagnose no. and go into the bits. This is the, one of the things, right, with the system. We just There's no time. So they're like, right, get yourself some tablets. And also, I said, recommend you go for some counselling. Um, which I phoned a number, and, and this is one of the things I say when I do my talks, is that fortunately enough for me, somebody must have either cancelled or just finished their block of sessions because a spot came available in the Leeds area. Now, Leeds has got 800,000 people in, and one spot became available for me at that precise time. Now, if that hadn't have happened, yeah. I don't know what <clears throat> what would have been the outcome. You know, so I was really mm. some somebody, something was on mm. my side to, to mm. make the the stars line up. But from that period, then I've got feelings of depression, you know, this real worthlessness and <clears throat> not being able to get out of, of bed and just just having this really bleak outlook on life. But coupled with feelings of anxiety of worried about what everyone was going to think. Uh, I was in the supermarket one day and I thought that the lady on the checkout could tell. Like I said, so in my head, I was like, she knows I'm mental. She knows that I'm off my head. All these things were going mm. through my head. And mm. then I thought, then it appeared that I thought everybody was looking at me in the supermarket. So I just had to leave the trolley and I, and I ran home and I just got under the covers and I stayed there for probably a day or two. And But while I was under the covers, I, I could hear my... Martin, you've just you're in you've just broken up there with your um, internet. In this this kind of loop of just behavior and thought processes of just being wanting to do something different, but then not being able to. Martin, can you just take us back? I just lost your yep. internet. I lost the your internet connection then. Yep. Um, so you just. And thanks for sharing this. I think it's it's so important for um, for guys to to talk about this thing. I, yeah. I when you were talking about some of those early feelings, the phrase that kept coming in my yeah. head was was just man up, and that yeah. that's in the past that has been said to me, and I know how yeah. destruct, destructive that could be. So thanks so much for sharing. But you, yeah. you where yeah. you cut out, where you cut out, you just got to the point where you come run back from the supermarket and yeah. got under the got under the covers can you just start again from there yeah got under the covers and then you stay there but then i can hear the kids because i've got two daughters by now and my ex-wife's downstairs looking after them so there's this i need to go help but mm. then you're scared to come out from under the the covers and then there's the guilt of not being able to or having the will to go and do that so then this cycle just continues of self-loathing of not being able to do what you should be able to do. That's what you say in your, your head as well. And so, and, mm. and one of the things that you mentioned about the man up, I actually confided in somebody once about how I was feeling. 
And their response was, well, what have you got to be depressed about, right? So yeah, <laughs> absolutely wounded because I'd, I'd plucked up the courage to admit. Yeah. But, but, that was, I, but now I take that as my responsibility because I chose that person to tell it to. And so now I'd say to people, make sure that you 100% trust this person you're going to speak to and that there'll be no judgment because that person could only look at my life based on what they thought, ex-professional footballer, married two kids, having a great time. What's he got to be sad about? So that's one thing I do say to people as well. Understand what your support system is and look at your environment and the people you've got around you for who you might go and have that conversation because if someone's going to judge you, it knocks you back even yeah. more because you've actually yeah. been brave enough to, to say it, right? So, so yeah, depression and then the feelings of anxiety. And I, I, I used to go to counselling sessions, mate, right? Get off the, the train and have my earphones in because that's the universal sign for don't speak to me. Right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Everyone does it now. Yeah. And so I'd be going to counselling and, you know, like when you see groups of people, just in my, I just thought they're going to mug me they're going to beat me up, like steal my phone, just convince myself that these people are going to attack me. So I get ready because it's fight or flight. Then I can yeah. either run off, but then I've got to go to this counseling session. I need to need to go. So it's like, right, it's going to have to be fight. And then, so I picked up, the, I picked the biggest one in the group because I thought I'm going to, I'll smash get it. Them first. If, I, if I get in first, <laughs> they'll all run off and leave me alone. So you gear yourself up and of course the walk right by, you don't even know you're there. And so, then you go through the feelings of shame and guilt of how ridiculous, how stupid, as of course they're not going to notice you, you moron, you like that kind of stuff. Mm. And so you rationalise it, but then two minutes later, you see another group of people and you go through the same yeah. process. And so it's just this endless loop of fight or flight, which of course is... is Exhausting. And, oh, it yeah. is. And then mm. I nearly got knocked over once, actually. And this is when it kind of properly... I had the realisation of how deep things were for me was that, um, yeah, someone came around the corner, beat the horn, I jumped back, they shouted a few uh, obscenities at me and um, I probably shouted some back. But then my mind was like, that was really close. Could have got knocked over then. And then I was like, oh, might have broke my leg, broke my pelvis, concussion, might have ended up in a coma. This is how my brain was going. And then I said, oh, might, might have died. And then I said, that'll be all right, because all this shit will be over. That's what that's mm. the commentary. And I was like, wow, because that's when it first hit me of how, where I actually was. Because as well, yeah. what I say to people is about communication is I was frustrated with everybody around me because they were all giving me this wonderful advice based on what they'd experienced and what they thought, oh, keep yourself busy and go and do that. And, you know, I was like, that's the complete opposite of what I need so i always say to people as well now if someone comes to you don't give them advice straight off the bat just just listen to understand mm. don't listen mm. to respond listen to understand because then i was getting really mad with people like i was to the point where i was paranoid mate i thought my ex-missus was trying to bump me off because she wanted the insurance money right that's that's where i was in my head yeah absolutely and now when i'm like going oh, dear me but that's where i was but mm. but then the other fundamental i realized was that i'd not told everybody how bad things were at that time. So they were only going off what I was presenting to them. So this is why I say to people, be really open and honest about where you're at when you find the right people, because then you can get the right level of support. They'll know how to speak or how to pitch up and do what they do for you. And then you won't get that miscommunication that that I had. So I, I think that what you're doing though, in all your work now, and even just sharing today, 
is this this increase in awareness and breaking down um, some of the misconceptions or but it's like you mentioned earlier like habits I think as a society we have habits and for men whilst we are in a privileged part of society right as men what what we what we don't get is this like you say is kind of your conditioned certainly not to show your children any any weak perceived weakness but what what I like about what you said then is because I recognize myself in especially your loved ones they want to fix right so someone comes to you and says they they are struggling or have a problem your inclination is to fix quickly because you don't like it you don't like thinking of a loved one in in distress so you go into fix and that and fix means giving advice doesn't it you know do this do this and I'm absolutely have spent you know I'm 47 it's taken me this long to get to a point with my children and others around me to even now I have to stop myself I just go right listen yeah listen first don't be going straight into fix mode yeah. you know and that you know but also I think the the guy that you the the person that you first shared with that uh, said what have you got to be down about says something it, for me all I heard was then they just weren't competent and enough to be able to yeah. to, to deal with that that says everything about them and and you know you doing the right thing it's not about you it's actually about them isn't it and that's one of the like the realizations that you realize eventually is that one of the things I would say to people is uh, nothing you ever do is because of someone else, and nothing anyone else does is ever because of you. Yeah. And, and, and people go, hey, what? And, and like I'm saying, like think about it. We, we all make decisions based on what we want to do or in response to, but we do it ultimately because we want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, even if that's getting mad or cross with someone and shouting. We do it for our benefit, not for theirs. We'll pretend yeah. that we do it for their benefit, but it's not. And vice versa, that not taking things personally, that people do things because of you. And so once you can understand that concept, you can start to gain more control over your, your life. And so it's kind of, I say to people, if you can learn to be, uh, to give people the freedom to be however they want to be, but you also understand that you've got that freedom, then you're going to live a different way and you're going to have a different experience of life. But however, get this, when you start doing what you want to do, you're going to get some feedback from those people who you've allowed to be that, that way because yeah. they don't know that you're doing that, right? And they don't, so know that the, they don't know the contract has changed. Exactly. And then if they're used to certain behaviours or ways of being, there's going to be resistance when you start changing. So if you're a people pleaser, for example, and you have always have been and you, you come to this realisation and then you start doing things for yourself, you're going to get called selfish of the very people who you've always put first, right? They'll, they'll forget your past history. Yeah. They'll just go off what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, they've changed. What's wrong with them? And so it's, and so this, it's this, like you said, this self-awareness. So what I say about self-awareness is aware, awareness of what you do and how you are, but awareness of self is a different thing. That's you getting in connection and understanding who you are at your core, which is based on, your own value system. So that's something else that's part of the one to 11, right? Yeah, yeah. Once I understood this, that values, and I can't remember how many there is, there's so many values that you could put in a list, it's ridiculous. But what you'll find is when you can narrow them down and go, these are the ones that are most applicable that I believe in, they'll come under one banner. And most of the time, 
the the value that we all uh, cherish is freedom. Yeah. And underneath freedom comes love, comes courage, comes all different yeah. things that people. But but that's when we're out of alignment with that. That's why we have a load of problems because we're not living to the uh, in the agreement with who we really are. And so that's when people are doing things that they don't really want to be doing or know they shouldn't, saying and hanging around with people who they think they don't really want to be. You know, and and no one can tell you this stuff, by the way. If you just pay attention, you will know when you're around people, there's a feeling and you go, yeah. nah, these are not for me. But it's that being able to stay grounded and aligned in your values that then stands you in good stead because then you can withstand anything, I believe, when you're standing where, where you want to be. But this is the booby trap of getting your values straight. Once you get your values, this is then we all have the propensity to judge other people by our values. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'll be saying, well, this is how I live. I can't believe Martin's doing that. Why is he living like that? What, what What's he doing that for? So that's the, the trap that I say to people. Once you get clear on who you are and what you want to stand for, don't put that on other people. No. Because they're doing the best that they can with the skills that they've got right now. And that doesn't mean they can't change, by the way, because you've changed. Mm. Everybody changes. Because we often get an idea about someone and then that preempts how we're going to be with them next time. But actually they could be a completely different person and are actually when you meet them the next time. But we treat them as the person who we had the experience with last time, right? And then that's where judgment comes from. This is where all the problems start to come from. I think it's, if anything, this podcast has made me, the more I've learned and the more I've, I hear about and talk to people like yourself and it's made me less judgmental. Uh, I think I've always been, even before doing the podcast, I've been clear about what I think my values are, but the doing increased awareness and knowledge has made me gentler like gentle with my with my um judgments and, and thoughts and yeah. it's just fascinating to hear you kind of what you were describing then is you maybe didn't have boundaries before and then when you introduce boundaries people are like hang on a minute yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. what's this what's this boundary here <laughs> i preferred it when there were no boundaries <laughs> and, and and a lot of people live that way where people will use them will run all over them and they love that because you're allowing them to when you say no and you put those boundaries up it becomes a problem for those people and then they'll make you think or try to make you think that it's you mm. and that's where it's this living in alignment with who you are will help you to withstand the pressure from from outside so values was part of the list and then well, i just want to take you back so when yeah you because where you were before we sort of went off on a, yeah. a nice tangent but where, where you were was like this sounds really low I mean oh. where what where was the trajectory after that what was the uh, kind of what happened well yeah I mean it was really low and, and I kind of even then so I still didn't put my category myself in that category of being suicidal I'd, I'd say to myself well I just wanted to die so even I didn't feel I was worthy to, to be in that category, if that makes sense. of Because mm. my understanding of mental health at that time was pretty much zero. And so you think of people who are suicidal and you there's the stigma around that. So yeah. I think I don't even think I wanted to be part of yeah. that. Because I was like, that, that weren't me. You know, yeah. I, I wasn't like that. I don't want to be in that category. But actually, it was only after I went on, um, did a mental health first aid course. And they go through the section about, being suicidal and signs to look out for. So well, I think there's about 13 on the list. There was then anyway. And so started going through this list 
And I was like, yeah, that's me. Ticking them off. And as we get down the list, I'm getting more and more finished. worried. Yeah, I'm getting more and more worried because I'm like, mm. I'll, be so, I'll finish soon. No, no, keep going. And I think it got to had a plan. I think that was like the, mm. someone's got a plan. I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I can breathe a sigh of relief. I'm not on that list. It's only when I went home and spoke to my, my ex-wife about the day I'd had and I was going through these things that I got to had a plan. And she went like deathly quiet and still. And I was like, what's wrong like, what's wrong she said you did have a plan but you wouldn't tell me what it was and I was like I felt in that moment I honestly mine I felt terrible in terms of what I put that woman through it's all right love don't worry about it I've, I know how I'll end my life but you don't need to know about it because you know I don't want to worry you right yeah Ex exactly and then yeah. She said to me that and this kind of really hurt me as well because she'd say if you'd go out on an evening, you I wouldn't want to ring you too early because I didn't want to be hassling you, but I didn't want to ring you too late either because it'd be too. And I thought, mm. whoa, mate, that was a proper kick right in mm. the gonads in terms yeah. of that I'd put someone in that kind of position unknowingly. And to yeah. be fair, lots of it now. I don't really remember too much around that, mm. that that time because that's the state of mind I was in. But I didn't think, imagine saying that to your, you know, your uh, partner. Don't, don't, yeah. I'm going out, don't worry. Yeah. You know, I'll know how I've I got do a it. Plan. Yeah. yeah, I've got a plan, but don't worry. I will, you know, really reassuring. So there was the acceptance then of that that was massive for me that actually I was in that category. But actually, that's all right. And so this was the mm. biggest. What happened for me with my breakthrough was I was on a NLP training course and I went for therapeutic reasons and as well to learn to become a kind of a coach as well. And I was having a conversation with the instructor and I'll be forever grateful to, to Julie because she was the, the person who helped me to break through. So we were just talking one lunchtime and I was talking about myself and my friends and family. And she just said to me, she said, uh, she said Martin, I'm confused. She said, do you pay your friends and family? And I was like, what do you mean? Do I pay them? I said, what, what, what question is that? And she said, well, by the way you speak about yourself, I'm surprised any of them would want to be around you for free. And in that moment, mate, that hit me like a yeah, I, I knew exactly what she meant. Mm. Everything that I'd gone through, everything that I was going through was due to this way that I felt about myself because retiring after professional sport all my value as a person, I I'd attached to that. Yeah. And that's what I that's what it was all placed on. And so in that moment, it was kind of you know, in the, the moments when you can you can run or you can stay. It's a bit like I've seen Matrix when he's in the train yeah. station. It can yeah. run away from Mr. Smith or stay and fight. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm gonna stay. I, I don't know why. Not I right. decided to yeah, I decided to stay. Uh because something compelled me to stay. And it was in that moment that I was able to have that realization and then start the process of healing. But that was the most painful pill, bitter pill I've ever had to swallow in my life was that I'd been massively responsible without knowing, mm. but contributing. And I felt that little of myself that I didn't think others would uh, would even. And there's been times in, in those darker days, mate, when people I've called to see how I've been and... I've got off the phone and cried because 
even in the moments I realized that someone else cared about me more than I cared about myself. Mm. And it's that so hurts. powerful. That's mm. that's it hurts, mate. Like it, mm. it, to have that realization, and, and then because you don't think you are worthy of them to be even calling you to see how you are. Yeah. So it's then like a then you feel then you feel guilt, don't you? So yes, it's... horrendous. Yeah, but mm. you'd feel that way about yourself. But that was the starting process of recovery then. And naively, I thought, oh, I figured out what it is now. I'm going to just, I'm going to go I've got it. Lift <laughs> <laughs> off. And Stop. of course, there's many times I fell back, you know, and it was after falling back quite a few times that then I was like, I've had enough of this. But this time it wasn't, I want to kill myself. It's like, I want to find out what I'm doing when I'm in the recovery periods. Because it occurred to me then that, very rarely do we look at things when they're going well in life because we're just happy that we're happy. But this yeah. is because the world tells us we should be happy all the time, that we any thoughts of negativity or these negative emotions, they tell us to run away from. And this is what's half of the problem, I feel, is that we should accept them all and learn how to manage them. They're not yeah. a bad thing. It's, it's part of being human. Yeah. And so, because most times we only look at things when they go wrong, don't they? Most organizations, teams, yeah. individuals, we go, oh, it's going wrong, what are we doing? And so I wrote down the things I were doing and then I counted them up and there were 11 things on the on the sheet, mate. And I was like, hang on a minute. I've got a team sheet here. And then I remember before squad numbers, because I'm, you know, we're pretty old, mate. We played before squad numbers, right? Yeah. I remember don't give my, me anything yeah. after 11. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have my name on there. Uh, and then, but I remember managers saying, if you win your battles 1 to 11, you win the game. Because that's what they used to say. It was, and I thought, there's these 11 things. Then I thought, football matches are very much like life. Like, you're never always in the ascendancy, no matter yeah. if you're the better team or not. A lot of the time, there's something will happen, just like in life, and you're up against it. And there's many times we've had to scramble to keep the ball out of the net and the crowd are all over you. But you weather that storm, you come, you get compact, you get your two banks of four and you, you see off the storm and then you start to get a few passes together and you start to move up the pitch. And then later on in the game, you're playing all their football, aren't you? And you're yeah, a bit of confidence. But, but yeah. this, and this, yeah. this is like, and I thought, isn't that just like life? So then I yeah. thought, wow, if we... What if people knew about these things? Because they already know about them, but they're not aware of them in terms of the impact they're having on their lives. What if we could teach people about the presence of these things in every area of your life, and then they could go to work on them to manage them? How would life then look and be for people if they could work on that one to 11? And so that's how it was born. And then that's what I've been kind of developing and working on and trying to take to people now uh, since, because I, these things are universal. They're in everybody's it. life all the time. We're just not aware that we how we're using them. And isn't it weird that it turned out that as you wrote down these things, there was 11. But I love what you said is all, all feelings are valid. So it's not. It, mm. And I think that's something where we have progressed in our understanding that um, like mental health, it's not yeah, completed it, mate. Done it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it is something that is that requires your kind of ongoing focus. So can you let's take us through this one to 11? Who is in goal? Yeah. So, yeah, and this is the one thing. So the goalkeeper is the most important position on, on in your one to 11. It's the one thing that I always say to people is fixed. You, you, you can't change this. And this is a acceptance because without acceptance, there's no movement forward in life. And if you think of anything you can't accept, whether that's what as kids have said to us, how as kids yeah. are behaving, you know, 
We've had a power cut and we can't accept that we've had a power cut, so we're annoyed. These are all someone pulled out on us in traffic. It's lack of acceptance is always the, the stopper to us ever moving forward. But I think that people think that acceptance, if I just accept it, then people will roll all over me and, and they see it as resignation. And I kind of get that. But when you couple it with responsibility, it then makes it an empowering uh, component because mm. you then go, right, this is where I am in life right now. I've contributed to this. But do you know what? I thought, isn't this wonderful? If I had the power to create that and take myself that low, then I'm sure I can do the opposite if I just do it for long enough. That was my yeah. kind of mindset. So, but to have acceptance of people, situations, that's the only way to move forward, to forgive, etc. Most people are stuck because they can't accept something. But it's not resignation because that's a, I can't do anything about it. Responsibility means I can't change what's happened, but I can certainly be impactful on what I'm going to do. It's like that, even that's powerful because just, I think even people listening, I know I've gone to like trauma in my past and knowing that the only time I was able to kind of set to progress was to sever that, that constant link to, to the event. And that only comes through acceptance. It's everywhere. It's it's in everything, mate. And people hopefully after this podcast will start to think more about what they are unaccepting of and whether that's people, etc. Because once you get it and you understand it, you can learn to then practice it, which is not an easy thing because lots of things will come along to test you whether you can accept it. But it's it is the starting point. And then after that, it was the communication, which we talked about, you know, me not communicating effectively. But also then the realisation of how I was communicating with myself after football, the language that I used about myself and the world and my thoughts was all of a real negative derogatory nature. Now, I was doing those things. So, again, I have the option to change that language. And certainly coming from an NLP background and understanding the power of language now, Mm. then the real turnaround came in terms of how I was going to communicate with myself and other people. And I also understood that lack of communication is the breakdown for all relationships ever in life in every relationship so if we can get better at communication and like we said listen to understand not listen to respond we're going to be different people which means we're going to have different outcomes of those relationships can you imagine two people who says the man who's you know getting divorced but i've learned this over time Mm -hmm. right but actually if we learn to listen to understand we can un- we can then look at the other person very differently yeah therefore that'll affect the way we speak to them and if they do the same what would be the outcome of all these thing- things that we have all these problems in the world we'd have an unbelievable change because yeah. like you just said before even if we disagree i can understand where you're coming from you can understand where i'm coming from and we can still say that's all right because we're not trying to prove a point or be better or make the other person wrong or right. We're just different. That's the thing. We never really often go beneath the first statement. So the, the, the thing that's said that we disagree with or annoys us, we never go the layer down to understand no. where it's come from. No. What's the, you know. We're ready to put our point of view and tell the other person why we don't we disagree with them, right? Yeah. So this is the, the, the and the other thing I say to people: as soon as you get into that way of thinking, you've stepped into ego. Mm. Anytime you've got a problem with something, generally it's because of our egos, right? We've been offended. Someone's and, and and so I'm not saying that 
you it's not it's not to get rid of your ego it's to understand that those are the warning signs that anytime something hits your stuff and gets you bothered you've stepped into ego can you then step back and go just hang on a minute yeah. what is it that have bothered me so much you know and it's like i say to people oh martin you've really upset me no you haven't i've got upset with you mm-hmm. again i go from disempowered by saying it's you who's made me mad to empowerment of I've made a decision based on your behavior. It, it, they're only subtle differences. Very powerful. They're so, they're so mm. empowering that people, mm. but people use the power against themselves all the time, but they do, because mm. they don't know. And so mm. this is what I'm trying to do with this one to 11 is say, just have a listen to this and see what you think and then start applying some of them. They're only subtle differences, but they'll make such a huge impact on your experience of life. And it's not that you won't have any problems in your life. It's just that you'll deal with them slightly differently, yeah. right? You won't be as quick to be up and down. You'll be yeah. more of a seamless. But with communication, as I said, comes support. Identifying who's in your life. How do you feel when you're around them? Are they negatrons? Like, yeah. Do they are optimist primes? That's what we call optimist <laughs> primes. Optimistic primes or negatrons. Do they drain your energy or do you feel kind of energized after being around certain people now often many of these people in our families right so i'm not suggesting that people sack all the family off what i'm saying is identify how you feel around certain people what are they saying what's what how are they communicating are they really negative putting you down when you've got ideas wanting to live a different way than them start to maybe separate yourself still see them but understand and then where they're coming from as to why they're doing it because you can't get better in the same environment that you got sick. It's yeah, very true. Right? Yeah. Not, never happening. But people stay in the same environment thinking that they're going to change and get better. And, and, and it's, it doesn't make any sense, right? But also I say to people, what's your support network like? But how are you supporting you? Because that's a massive thing. So do you listen to the news just before bed that's going to ply you with loads of negative stuff, right? That you're going to go to bed and sleep sleep on and then do you get up in the morning and do the same thing what are you looking at on social media who are you speaking to what are you what are you taking in because again we don't have to we don't have to look at the news we don't have to watch violent stuff we don't have yeah. to uh, speak negatively about others if we don't want to but mm. yeah so i said to people how are you supporting yourself what time do you go to bed yeah, it's a really good point. There's, there's, there's so many things we can do to support ourselves. But again, I, it's not from a place that people don't want to. I just don't think they've considered these things. I think you're right. And that go, that is kind of the awareness of something you mentioned right at the start about habits. So if you're anxious and depressed, what are the habits that you have before you go to bed? Are they going to help you get a good night's sleep or are they going to just turn up your anxiety or your depression? Yeah. It's it's really it's it's really good point. It's just being mindful, Aware. isn't it? And that's yeah. what we're trying to this self awareness of what what am I doing myself to? And I'm not saying that that's going to you know make everybody suddenly all well and 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 dancing on the ceiling. But if we start to notice what we do ourselves, we can slow the train down and then maybe put it in in reverse. And so understanding what your environment's like is maybe a good thing to look at as well. Then there was values and beliefs, as we said about being aligned. So getting really clear on what your values are and then just live to them, no matter what, but do not judge other people. Everyone's doing the best they can. 
with yeah. the skills that they've got. We're so quick to judge, aren't we? That we, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not sitting here, sitting here saying I'm perfect. Like I, know, I still do now, but it's always that awareness now. I'm judging, so stop. Then yeah. your beliefs. We talked about all that stuff about what boys believe. You're not allowed to cry. All, all this nonsense that you pick up from being born to a seven-year-old will shape you as a, an individual. But the thing about beliefs is, you can change them. Yeah, so beliefs is like the autopilot on a plane. When you go on a long haul flight, we conscious mind is when we take off and land. But in between, your unconscious mind's running the show. Now, if your autopilot's programmed to uh, go to LA, and then you suddenly you you want to go to Sydney, you might set off on the way to Sydney, but you're going to end up in LA because once you switch off, yeah, autopilot, and that's why people self sabotage. See, yeah beliefs because your beliefs are just a story that you've chosen to believe and take as true and then you've just solidified it, it becomes hardwired so we what i always say to people when they tell me they can or can't do something or they have a belief i just have been told and trained to say when did you decide that that's really good yeah because it's a question yeah. that makes you go well when did i decide that yeah. i've never i've been i've never been good at diy me but when did i decide quite a few years ago when i probably had a not a very good experience, and then I sacked it off for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the other day, I put a new door handle on the toilet door. Never done it like that for years, but I have yeah. done it, and I've, I've done it, and the door yeah. handle's still on. So I've changed my belief now that I can do things like that. But before, because at one point something didn't go right, I decided yeah. that I couldn't do that. And so mm. this is what people do as well. It's like saying, I can't get better. You Once you've decided that's why i used to say like i, I can't do this and i haven't got yeah. this mm. but once i made a different decision and i repeated it over and over until i convinced myself and it's not just like positive talking and lying to yourself there's a repetition and a way of do because that's how we learn things don't we through yeah. repetition so yeah if you if you repeat the things that you say in your head often enough and believe them it's possible to do the the yeah. opposite and yeah. so this is why i say to people who believe that they've because i used to do it believe that they've got something. I've got depression. I now say to myself, I've suffered with feelings of, because there's a separation. If I say I've got it, I'm so attached to it, at some point, it's going to be hard for me to give up, right? Because I remember being depressed, but also being scared to be all right on the days I felt good, because people would say, what's wrong with him? I thought he was depressed. He's laughing and yeah. joking, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So people who are feeling better won't even start to attempt to be better because people already know. But if you tie to that story of you've got this thing, now some people might get annoyed with me for saying that, and I'm, I'll probably I, hit a nerve with I, a few people, right? But I, I it's, think it's uh, that, it sounds like your people when they're typecast as actors, you're typecasting yeah. yourself as. Um, I'm always going to be. I'm always going to be this way, and I can't so, act in. I can't act in another way. Yeah, I say labels create limits. As soon as me and you decide that we're men, we're white, we're mixed race, we've already put a, a limitation on then what we can become. So, 47 and 45, we've now put a limit on what we can become based on our age. And how many people use age as a reason for not doing stuff? Yeah. Right, yeah. so what I'm not I'm not discounting what people are saying, but it's a belief that's so strong that you become attached to it that you'll then 
you won't want to let go of it. And not through not wanting to, but there's just this. Because what if you're what if your belief is wrong? What does that say about you? Isn't it funny though? Because once you've broken through some of these things, right? I can remember. Yeah. So I started the podcast, uh, was I 44, 45? And I, um, I was at some kind of work event where we were doing face to face, and somebody said, um, I've heard you started a podcast. I went, Yeah, I went, how old are you? I thought it's such a stra- <laughs> it's such a strange question to go to, right? So I was like, oh, I'm 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 45. Wow, and you've just started a podcast. I mean, it, I know in their brain, those two things didn't compute, right? It was kind of, and I was like, yeah, and it was for me, it felt strange, but that's because I decided I wasn't going to allow these things. So I think you're you're dead right. Labels, it's it's lazy thinking. It's yeah. how we it's how we compartmentalize. So we go, yeah. if I can give you a label, I can make some assumptions about you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then just put you in a box that suits me. Yeah. So I can, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is, whether it's yeah. you're a you're a northerner, I could go, okay, right. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. Northerner, uh northerner, cobbled streets, you yeah. know, just yeah. like I can so, I can start rattling some stuff off. Yeah. But it's because that's what suits me rather than just go, no, I, I want to be inquisitive, right? Exactly. And and then and that's the thing. And so this is what I'm and again, it's only because of my own experience, I did it, that I've then worked through it and understood. So once I attach a label to myself of suffering with or being something that I attach to myself, I'm then anchored to it. And then because we don't want to be proving ourselves wrong, we won't take the steps necessarily unknowingly to then free ourselves from those labels. And so that's why when I hear people, again, communication, I've got this, I've got that. It's a dangerous way of thinking that's going to keep you stuck because now you're attached to this thing that you feel is you and you own mm-hmm. it. Therefore, mm-hmm. it's really hard to let go of. And so that's what I've understood about beliefs is that they're so strong and it's like believing your own personal story. There's no room for change then because you've got yeah. this thing that you're never going to get yeah. rid of. Yeah? And once you tell yourself you've got something, what are the, what's the likelihood that you'll ever change it? It's, it's not. So, again, this is why communication and language with ourselves is, is a, an area that, yeah, I, love that. I, I would really love people to start looking at how they're... And it's okay to say, I've got feelings of depression and I've got feelings of anxiety. That's, that, yeah, people who judge you, sod them. Do you know what I mean? We're not, they're not our, that's not our support group. But to empower ourselves, we might want to start looking at the way we're speaking about who we are and what we have if that makes sense right so that was massive beliefs are so huge when you go back and look at where you got them from you'll find some really interesting answers right yeah, so, yeah. and that's why i say and that's yeah. why i work with people on as well so that's that's like the keeper and some of the the back four i'll save the other one to last but then there's goals so i didn't have any direction when i retired and at that time in my life nothing that was tangible that excited me to move forward to the life i had doing the things I was doing, just, I suppose, where do you go from your dream job? Like that. So that fallout from that, there was no real goals or vision. But then what I figured as well, I said is, with the goals comes, you know, there's always a plan. You know, it's like going to make a cup of tea. That's the goal. But I've got to, there's a part, there's a process I've got to go through to make sure I get a cup of tea. It's the same in life. Whether it's to feel good every day, find out what the process is that you go through to make that a reality. 
even if it's getting out of bed, how are you going to do that? You know, so I always ask people, have these little goals. Don't have the massive climb Mount Everest. Have the little base camp ones till you get, again, till you yeah. weather the storm, got confident. Yeah. Once, you, once you're flying, you can put, I'm going to go rule the world on, can't you, when you're full of confidence. But until yeah. then, just make it. I'm going to, this next hour is going to be the best that I can make it, right? And that's your goal. And then, right, what does that look like? So I say to people, put your, put your plan in place. And then also having structure in your life. Again, like we said, bedtime, morning routine, what you're doing, what you're watching, just becoming aware. And then once you've got your your plan and your way of being and, and doing and you've looked at your language and you question your beliefs always and are you in alignment with your values and who have you got around you and are you taking responsibility and stuff, you know, circle of control and things. Then it's about consistency and discipline that go hand in hand to execute the plan. But all consistency and discipline are, are our habits yeah because we're all consistent and we're all disciplined right like i said to you over the last last week i got really disciplined at eating kfc mcdonald's fish and chips curry and a chinese right i'm really consistent martin <laughs> yeah. that i was smashing it and i was smashing it. i was disciplined because I, I was going to do that on that particular day so but what i'm saying to people is identify what your habits are Go away and look at what are you consistent and disciplined at because you are, everybody is, and then see if those habits are serving you or causing you a problem. And then maybe it's up to you then, up to the individual, do you want to change those habits? Because even something like with food, right, for example, the biggest problem we all have with food is that it's like a little bit like the Freud thing. We've got, you know, so I say it's like the kid, you know, we're all the greedy kid when we want, don't we? we get stuck in and we don't know when to stop, right? When we when we get to certain foods. Yeah, I'm an adult now, I can do what hey, I want. Well, here's the thing, mate. So we're either, when it comes to food and a lot of stuff, we're either the kid that doesn't know when to stop. If we're not the kid, we're the judgmental parent who tells us off for doing it and then makes us feel shame. So then the kid in us goes, well, I feel terrible. I need to go do that thing again, right? But when we understand that we are the adult, and we're allowed to do what we want, and we can eat as much of that as we want, but we're responsible for what happens after. It's a different mindset. Mm. Some I've written on a cupboard, adult, just written the word adult on the cupboard where the nice. sweets are. <laughs> because <laughs> it says to me, when I go to the cupboard, I go, adult, yeah. right, just get a couple and walk off. Whereas if it's not there, I'm in greedy child mode who yeah. used to burn thousands of calories every day so he could eat what he wanted and I'll get stuck in like I won't stop. Then I need I need to yeah. write I need to take a post-it note to the co-op yeah and write <laughs> that underneath the skills. But but it's but what are you doing? Are, yeah just, just a reminder. So habits uh, are your discipline and consistency but they're underpinned by commitment right so I thought I had to be committed fully to this changing of my thinking to change the way that I experience life. And so that's not without its issues. I'm not sat here to say to everyone, I never have any dark days or it's Disneyland every day because it's, it's yeah. not a face challenge, mm -hmm. but I've got a way of doing things now and an understanding that the commitment is that I'm not gonna go back to that place and I've got a way of doing things. And so that's what keeps me driving forward to, to do, to carry out my plan. Right? And my way of thinking and catching myself when I, I go back to those old patterns, because I do, because we all do. It's, that's why mm. the habits, right? Mm. So then the commitment's there, but the commitment comes from a, a courage to not be scared to fail. 
in today's society, I see it with my kids. They're all scared to try stuff because mm. everyone's taking a picture and can criticise you and they, they'd rather not try than have a go. Whereas when we had a go, only the kids who play in the football yeah. match saw it, right? No yeah. one else knew. Yeah. So, but but the work I've also done with a guy called uh, on a guy called Doctor, uh, I think it's Doctor David R. Hawkins. He has something called the Map of Consciousness, which people might want to check out. And it goes through all these emotional states, and kind of every emotional state carries a kind of an energy field that has an impact on us physically as well. So, just like muscle testing stuff, right? And he says the level 200 of courage is the fastest way to go from the weak attractor patterns, which are like guilt, shame, apathy, fear, anger, pride, to the higher levels that then strengthen you. Because if you think about anything you've ever had to do, it took courage to either have the conversation with someone, stand up for yourself, say yeah. you're not doing anything anymore. So courage for people is the fastest way to change anything, to admit that you've mm -hmm. got a problem fastest because then it takes you quickly from these weaker levels that then harm you into ones that are going to strengthen you so that courage of Love commitment that. is something mm -hmm. that's really important so for anyone who's struggling what is it that's scaring you about what you need to do if you go do that thing and i'm saying to people asking for help maybe having that conversation backing yourself to even if you're old and you think you're old and you can't do it maybe go have a go at it that that might be the quickest way to feel differently about the, the situation. And then the other one was time. Time's our most precious commodity that I finally realised. It's not money, it's not possessions, despite what the world tells us. Because I just started with the end in mind. When I get to the end, uh, I know what I want more of. And it'll be more time to spend with the people yeah. that I, I love. And so I, that's how I now live my life, going, that's what's important to me. Lots of people painting lots of different pictures out there in social media land of all these things that they tell you is going to make you happy. But what once you've got them, what do you do then? You've got to get the next thing and the next thing and, the, and you're never, ever going to be happy because happiness is an inside job. So I'd say to anyone, stop looking outside yourself for yeah. stuff or people because it's not people's job to make you happy because they can't do it anyway. It's impossible. Yeah. If, yeah. I, if, my, if, if all my happiness was reliant on you, Mark, at some point, you're going to let me down. Yeah. Because I'll have put on expectations. <laughs> God, Martin, he must do this to keep me happy. And so that's what people do all the time, right? So yeah. people are there to uh, enhance your experience. They're not there to make you happy. You've got to take that on for yourself. And so I say to people, look at how you're using your time. Are you investing it in yourself? So maybe read a few books, look at some different things. Uh, are you spending it actively like I'm spending it now, loving speaking to you because you're someone who... But it's true, right? Yeah. This is not wasted time. This is no, unbelievably great, great yeah. time for me, right? Or how much time do you waste? How much time do people waste scrolling through social media, getting involved in things that don't concern them? Then when they get to the end of their life, they're going to be upset because they didn't... Oh, I never got to do that. Well, that's because you're on Facebook 12 hours a day. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. if you weren't doing that and you kept your nose out of everyone else's business and took care of your own life, yeah. maybe you could have done some different things. So I think this time is this commodity that we're all scared of that's running out. We can't get back. So make that a priority. Make your time a priority. Because if you're missing out on loads of stuff, I don't understand why people do it, but you can't get that time back. And then you've got to live the rest of your life knowing you can't get that time back. And so what's important to you? That's what I just say to people now. What's the, what is important to you? 
And I mean, you like is the greatest gift. Are you like the you're the manager of this one to eleven, right? Yeah. So yeah. Do you like who's performing well? Who might yep. need a bit of physio? So I can see my yep. centre back yep. is communication, and yep. I need to I need to send the physio on to um, sort that out because, like so many of us who love football, I straight away in my mind that's how I'm seeing this. Yeah, one yeah. to eleven. <laughs> You're the manager. You can see who's playing well and who's not. And then when the depending on however the game's going, so life. Once we experience a difficult moment in life, that could be that point in the game where I need to change the formation. I need to put him there because he's better. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it gives you this option also to go, right, things are going wrong. What have I stopped doing? What am I not doing? But, all oh, right, I'm not communicating very well. That's what I need to work on. That's who I need to go work. So it gives you this ongoing assessment tool that you can use to fix or at least manage difficult situations in your life and also when things are going well because what's when your team's playing well how do you keep them playing well how can people yeah. find out more about um this because i guess i mean now um i mean the, the concept i absolutely love it and i'm sure there's people listening um how do people get in touch with you find out more about this one to eleven yeah, so I've got a website is www.just1211it.co.uk. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn and Martin Pemberton. I'm on Facebook as well, Martin Pemberton. And I have a, a, a men's group on there called The Boot Room. So if people want to search up for that, and there's just a lot of positive material, little things that we put in there on a daily basis on Facebook. Uh, on Instagram, at Pem1211. So I put loads of videos and, and little motivational things and things to think about on there. Uh, I think that's I think that's it, mate, for the social media platforms that I can think of. Um, and then my email, uh, Pembo, P-E-M-B-O, the number one, the word two, the number 11, at gmail.com. And then people can contact me, contact me from there, mate, because it's something that I uh, massively believe in. I never set out to create it. It's come through a natural process. And so I know that it's the, it's the real, real deal. And I think with the format of football, many will get it. But the other thing I say, it doesn't have to be football. You can mm. put your one to eleven into anything. It could, if you was a someone who likes baking cakes, how do you make the perfect yeah. cake? There's your ingredients and utensils. Mm. What do you need? You know. So if it's construction, you need certain things to build buildings and houses. Your one to eleven can be something. Can be your foundation. So it's very individual. People can tailor it to their own needs. But the one thing I just say is that because. We, we're aware of these 11 things. We all know they exist because there's nothing, there's no rocket science like, oh, I've never heard of that. Everyone's heard of time and discipline and consistency. It's just that I don't think we fully understand or are aware of how we use them. And, and their relationship. To each other. Yeah, how yeah, they come that's inside, kind of right? like... and, and I think that's where, for me, when I see it now, it's really simplistic, right? Because I can listen to people and I can hear them speak and I, I pick something off that list straight away and I go, that's what we could work on. So, and this is what I want other people to be able to learn it, to be able to say, all right. And so my dream is that one day, mate, someone will be having a conversation like me and you, and I, I might be telling you about some of my problems. And you say, hey, why don't, why don't you just want to 11 it? And I'll go, oh, yeah. And I'll go and, and look at it and go, oh, yeah, I was blaming, wasn't I? I didn't, I didn't understand that that was for me to take responsibility for. And then people have this little toolkit that they can just help them to navigate navigate life because the way the world is now, mate, it's 
we're believing a load of lies in yeah. terms of what makes you happy and what you should be doing and who you mm. have to be. And God, people don't can't, people are not even accepting of themselves. So how are we going to accept other people? Whether that's our bodies, uh, finances, our relate. We we're like this this acceptance thing, mate. We could do a, a two-hour talk on yeah. acceptance on its own because it's yeah. prevalent. And everybody is non-accepting of something or someone. And even when we talk, I think we had a brief chat about even with discrimination, right? Racism, sexism, whatever you want to say. Um, it's cut this through lack of acceptance. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think your the 1 to 11 is a kind of thing I would just love to see more discussion around stuff like that. Take that concept into schools and take... Uh, Oh, take take kids to actually have conversations around some of those things you've um, mentioned and just what it means to be yeah. a human and developing their own internal toolkit, right? So that yeah. they um, they have their own compass as well as all of the different messages they're getting, some good, some bad, but unfiltered just acts and they're accessing it 24 7 it'd just be great to i could just imagine your concept in a in a, a group of lads who understand football yeah. Yeah. but i've never thought about how they talk to themselves you know just yeah. it's honestly and it, it took that that experience for it to come out but that's the, the reason i believe i went through it was for this to come out you know the football yeah. career the mental health issues was all for this one to 11 to be uh, born as such and created so that it can go and help lots of people and I just I just believe that it, it can help anybody in any situation so schools businesses sports relationships whatever you know I think it's a there's a something there that each person can take away and kind of use to their advantage right I'm grateful for you just as who, who you are as a person but coming on and um i we i said it before so i'm not just saying this because we're recording but we were talking before a week ago weren't we i i yeah. we are mates now so i'm 100 so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're in my world but also i just want to thank you for sharing um your journey and doing what you do because the more people that speak about this kind of thing especially men and like you were a footballer who an idol to lads like me growing up a couple and... of people <laughs> <laughs> a couple of people at donny rovers yeah yeah and then some man and his dog yeah some man and his dog bloody pemberton again <laughs> I know. and do you know what mate you've just you've just mentioned the last one of the one to eleven that we didn't mention gratitude yeah okay nice. and that because that's the glue that kind of enables us to hold a lot of these things together right and so gratitude is a something that changes your physiology that will then change the way you feel and think but also it's not a natural behavior for us because we're born to be uh skeptical aren't we and pessimistic yeah. to keep us alive whereas gratitude yeah. being grateful for something uh changes the way you feel about things and yourself and then even for the simplest things like you said of waking up every day or being able to be able-bodied you know i've got a, a good friend of mine who's um in a in a wheelchair and is disabled right and so every day he, he pops into my mind because I can just turn over in bed. He can't on his own. I can just yeah. get up and walk to the toilet. And we take those things for granted, but I've got a, a living person in front of me who I respect and revere so much because of what he does and has to face. And I take all those things sometimes for granted. So he's a constant reminder 
for me to be grateful for mm. all the things that I get to get to do. And when you have gratitude in your heart and you connect with the emotion of it, then it's a really powerful, you know, really powerful thing. This will be the first of many, I'm sure of it, won't I it? I hope so, mate. We've got we've got all sorts to talk about, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Martin Pemberton. And I'll share all of those um, links and things like that in the post that we the post that we do. But um, yeah. thank you very much. It's been, it's been brilliant. A, oh, mate, honestly, one of the best conversations ever, mate. I love it. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, everybody. Do you know how many files your employees have uploaded, downloaded, emailed, airdropped, slacked or shared via Google Drive today? A lot of that data has left your organization and you don't even know it. Visit Code42.com to learn how Insider prevents data exfiltration. At Sandy Spring Bank, we care about people, not transactions. So we concentrate on creating personalized solutions to start or grow a business that provides for your family, to purchase a home that will house the memories you make there, to save so you can enjoy today and then pass on your legacy to future generations. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash real. Mortgage, home equity, and other credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank.